0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mahita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergott, the Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge. I'm very excited today to welcome Jeremy Wall. He's the co-founder and CEO of Goldmakers. Welcome, Jeremy.
1: Thank you for having me today. Excited to be here on Mahita Talks and uh, look forward to our chat.
0: Yeah, I, thank you so much. We actually get to meet at the Mahita Conference earlier this year. Um, and I thought you'd be a great guest. You have, a lot of your goals are aligned with mahita values. Um, so I'm looking forward to it today. I'm not sure that all of our members are familiar with yourself or goal makers. So I was hoping we could just kind of set the table and you could give us a little bit of background about yourself and GoalMakers.
1: makers. Yes, yeah, so I appreciate it. And it was great to meet you in person in Orlando as well as some of the other members who may be listening to this. Um, so for some context, Goalmakers is a preferred partner of Mahita. Um, so we are not in the equipment distribution space ourselves, but we're in the training side. So our objective is to provide Mahita members with the best training opportunities that focuses on people management, serving the right customer, creating systems and processes internally, as well as financial education, understanding how to read the income statements, the balance sheet, break-even analysis, understanding cash flow. So as an owner operator, these are things you wish everyone knew um, as an employee, but also some owner operators, and we've got some great testimonials from our our previous program, said, I got some great nuanced pieces of this that I can apply in the business. And we've now kind of trickled back down to to be part of our culture. And so Goalmakers is, um, our objective is to create democratized education, but really that executive MBA type education. So how can it be put into practice right now um, so anyone who's an emerging leader, an existing leader, mid-level manager uh, within the organization or C-suite can gain a lot from the program.
0: Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the program. I know that this will be your second year doing the master manager program specifically developed for mahita members. Um, I've talked to some people that went through the program last year, really enjoyed it. I know you have a new program coming up in September of this year. Um, so could you go a little bit deeper about what you'll be discussing in that Master Manager program?
1: Yeah. So the Mahita Master Manager is a 10-week virtual program. Um, so we start off on September 7th, we kick off the program. You'll meet a cohort of your peers, so this will be other Mahita members going through this together. Um, there are six live sessions where we join, sort of like you and I are talking today. Um, in full group settings, we'll have guest experts we have actually invited. Uh, former Mahita president Tim Hilton uh, to join. So Tim provides a lot more of that experience leading uh, Carolina Raymond Handling, um, but he also has brought some some new pieces to the table in terms of his financial background. So that 10 week program covers six weeks are focused on the management. So that's goals, creating great company-wide goals and vision, uh, agile business planning, looking at how do you hire the right people, looking beyond a resume at natural abilities, Um, coaching, serving the right customer. So you make sure you have the right customer, generic strategies, sales and operations processes aligned around that strategy, creating systems of management, um, and then using empowerment management styles. And so that's our first six weeks is really the people management and organizational leadership. The next four weeks is focused on demystifying the finances. So understanding how to read the income statements, the balance sheet, correlating different lines of those statements together, um, looking at some benchmarks from the industry. So we've been able to actually use the DISC reports from HEDA, build that into our case study so that you're learning about kind of what are the benchmarks within the industry and highly successful quartile of our industry. And then how do we apply this? So financial ratios, break-even analysis, and some of these tools that really help anyone at any level of the business, even if they don't have visibility into the balance sheet income statement, just think more intelligently about how The entire operation works together.
0: That's awesome. And Tim Hilton, that's a a big get. So he's really well known. I've known him for a long time. And uh, I'm sure people will be excited to hear from him as well. Um, You know, I love the concept of professional development. And especially something that's geared specifically towards Mahita members. Um, You know, I can say in my time, a lot of times, professional development was looked at as something for people that were new to the company or new to material handling or new in their career. And I think sometimes we lose focus that professional development really is a lifelong learning goal. Um, So can you talk a little bit about why professional development is so important, especially in today's environment?
1: Yeah, and I'll start with a personal story here. Is um, my undergraduate degree was in textiles. So talk about specific niche degree. Um, I had a product development background, and right out of college, my first company um, built off my thesis, my, my college thesis turned into a company, and so I was kind of dropped into the deep end and never had that traditional MBA. Didn't have an undergraduate degree even in this space, and so. For me personally, a lot of this was learned on the fly, both uh, through the positive experiences and the negatives where you missed the mark. And so I, I've significantly in my life invested in professional development. And when I had the opportunity to partner um, with John Chaffee, so John has been a professional coach. Um, he's my co-founder in Goalmakers. Um, he's worked with the Mejita board back in uh, right when Liz started on, he helped in the strategic planning for Mejita, even the volunteers and the board. So we've been working with Mejita for decades now. but Um, John wrote a book, The Winning Manager's Playbook, to try and take some of these coaching lessons and and expand to a broader audience. And a big focus within his book was, how do you make sure that you just have the skills, the resources, even the lexicon, being able to say the right terms and putting names to things that you may already be doing, but how do you create a little more structure around that? I think one of the best examples of that is, um, plenty of the learners that we had in the Mahita Master Manager Program last fall, came out and said, we, we were doing this, but we didn't call it by a name. It was just something we kind of did. But after going through this, this week of the program, we have a system. We call it the goal management team meeting. We do daily huddles, and we set a parameter of 15 minutes for that. And so that professional development and that lifelong learning, it, I think it's really important because it allows you to just take little steps and it doesn't have to be boiling the ocean of kind of rebuilding everything but how do you just take little advancements, little operational opportunities to improve things? And we really look at it from the standpoint of you benefit from putting more people from your organization together through the same program, showing the same systems and same processes. And if everyone makes a 2% improvement across the board, I mean, if you can build that into your bottom line at the end of the year, you're really seeing big benefits. And so um, it's super important that especially those emerging leaders who, who don't have necessarily the training, but also sometimes lack some confidence, have the, the tools to feel they're prepared for that role. They now know how to manage people in a way that a lot of the times we just don't have um, the training in place, especially the smaller organization who, who isn't the Toyotas of the world. You know those big uh, manufacturers have their own systems, but if you're a little bit lower on that chain, how can you partner with a group like Mahita to bring that vetted education. Um, I personally, you always think, oh man, someone's got an MBA, that's great. Most of us don't have the time, the money, the bandwidth, um, the the flexibility just to be able to go through a proper MBA. And so this 10 week sprint really, how do you condense that and get a lot of the the same benefits but not necessarily having to invest tens of thousands of dollars in two years of your life into a program? So um, we believe MBAs serve a lot of purpose, but if you're not at that stage, This is where smaller things, whether it's LinkedIn learning or the Mahita Master Manager program, or even just good books and good YouTube channels or podcasts like Mahita Talks can bring a lot of that education. So we're we're big fans of lifelong learning around goal makers.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just such an important thing that people need to make a concerted effort to professional development and continual learning. I would say that I I have an MBA. Um, I got an MBA, though, in 2009. You know, and that in today's world, I mean, a lot of the fundamentals are the same, but the world, especially as it relates to managing people, is so different. And I I do think that no matter what level of education you have, that the world of education is so different these days and the world is changing so fast these days that you have to keep up with current trends and current ideals and, you know, the current business environment, they're doing programs like this.
1: And just, just to add to that. And I think one thing that's really important Cherry, um, one of the benefits of the Mahita master manager program, or a lot of the better programs like an MBA is you're going through it with your peers. And so you're not just learning yeah. from the, the textbook or the e-learning or the videos, but you're actually having an opportunity to interact with fellow peers who are at a similar point in their career or a little more advanced, or Uh, newer to their career, but have different experiences. And so you learn a lot from that social dynamic. And I think that's one of the best parts that we love about the master manager program is you have an opportunity to talk with other people in Mahita, other members who have experienced this and gotten through it or have different strategies that they've been able to apply. And that's where that context of lifelong learning isn't just kind of one direction, but it's bi-directional.
0: Right. Being able to learn something and apply it immediately allows it to stick you know, whereas there are things that, excuse me, I learned in my MBA program, and then, you know, five years later, maybe something applied, but I totally forgot, you know, the principles of, of what we were talking about, um, so I think that it's great, and kind of staying on the topic of professional development, I mean, we certainly have the Mahita Master's Manager Program. Mahita offers a lot of other continuing um, education programs, but I think sometimes what, what, catches people up a little bit is they're well intended they understand that they need to focus on continual learning but there's so many different programs i mean there's tons of online programs linkedin has programs every association has programs you know when you're a busy professional especially for those that are maybe mid-management or upper management how do you you know figure out which is the best for you from a time constraint but it will also give you the most value? Because you can also waste a lot of time, I think, in ones that aren't really pertinent to your environment today.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's a great question. Um, I'll say it's different for everyone, whether it's stage of your career or bandwidth um, or or what it is you're trying to learn. I think one thing that we talk about a lot internally is this idea of some people go for education for the letters next to their name. Some people go for education for what it means on their day-to-day. And then within that spectrum, there's a lot of different reasons why people invest in that. Um, I think that an important piece of it is looking at kind of where you're at in your career and and really what are the skills and gaps that you need to fill in short term, that then kind of paint that picture of where it goes long term. And the world has changed. I mean, pre-COVID, most education was you had to fly somewhere, you had to sit in the room. now, since the COVID and the pandemic kind of created more virtual first opportunities, we've always been virtual first, even before the pandemic, because one of our focuses is for that the working professional. You, We know you're not going to take a, a gap year from your job to go through learning. And so self-paced is a big piece of that. Um, but it's balanced with those live sessions. So you have kind of two weeks to go through a few hours worth of material We have folks who say, I pour myself a a cup of coffee on Saturday morning. I've got some time while the kids are at practice and I just, I put in a few hours then. Others say, I really like the 15 minutes a day approach. I can fit that in every day. While I have my sandwich, I'm still doing the learning. And so I think bandwidth is the first thing to look at when you say, what do I have time for and how does that fit into my schedule? Um, A lot of that, and I think one great example is, uh, the Emerging Leaders Conference. That's a great in-person conference that Mahita does. And it's impossible to replicate that experience of 24 hours in a room with your peers from across the nation in all sectors. That's a great investment of time, especially if you say, I can make it happen for one day. I think that's an example of, you're still getting a great professional development opportunity, even though it is in person. And so as a digital first company, we still know there's a deep value in being in person. So bandwidth is the first thing to look at. Oh, I guess first is like skills assessment. What do you think you need to fill in a little bit more? Bandwidth is second. And then third, I think what's really important is um, the community around it. Who's providing that learning and who's going through it with you so that you have this community that once you've graduated, are you gonna be able to tap into that? Once you've gotten a certificate, are you gonna be able to to rewatch those videos or is it closed off? So it's always a balance of, so once you've finished, what's next within that same program or is there some matriculation into a program 2.0 or 3.0? So it's it's always tricky. Um, but I do think it, it depends on kind of what you need, how much time do you have, and then where do you go from there?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I always like at the beginning of the year just to kind of sit down and think about where do I want to improve? What are my goals for improving in this next year? And, and not look out five, 10 years. to say in this next year, What skill set do I feel that I can improve on? And then look for education that really fits those specific skill sets because you can get overwhelmed with so many different things and so many different options. Um, You know, I think it's really important to kind of focus in on what you're looking to improve for yourself. Um, Kind of, I'm sorry.
1: Sorry to interrupt. And I'll just add to that. I think one thing that's important is also those don't always have to be work focused professional development is important but lifelong learning can include new languages or learning how to juggle or something that you care about that's going to bring kind of joy or advancement to your life and the balance there's a little bit of an opportunity cost there so we we are a professional development company but we also understand that kind of personal development is super complementary so to what you just said that kind of what do i need is also paired with what do i want um, and balancing that's important
0: Agreed. Agreed. I'm glad you brought in even the personal development because that's important and yeah. there's always something new to learn for sure. I've had on my list for at least five years to learn Spanish and um, I'm not quite there yet, but we'll get there eventually. <laughs> and so kind of going down the path of of goals, I work with a lot of companies um, in the Mojita space on strategic planning, goal development, goal management. And I would say I've seen kind of a wide swath of um strategic planning and goal setting just depending on the organization um so kind of fundamentally what would you say defines a good goal
1: so our clearly we have a lot of uh, investment in goals goal makers is the name of our company um i will put this out there while goal making is important achieving goals is the end goal not just making a lot of goals um so i'll give you a couple things that, that we preach but we also practice um so there's It's kind of six characteristics of a good goal um, that that we'll go through. But first is, is it directly aligned with your vision? Uh, Is this something that is kind of part of your long-term strategy or is it a little deviation from that? I think that's really important to make sure that your goals are aligned with that long-term vision, which a vision is a long-term goal, three to five years out, where do you wanna be? Um, A second part of this, and this is one that I'll always harp on is, we always wanna make sure that goals have a deadline. a lot of times you hear people say, oh, there's this kind of here's our objective and we hope we get there. Well, um, I learned this from a mentor of mine. A goal without a deadline is just a dream. Um, and, and I think that's something that that line stuck with me. But if you have a deadline, you now can kind of progress yourself. Am I behind schedule or ahead of schedule? If I'm behind schedule, what do I need to do to get back on track? If I'm ahead of schedule, how can I continue on that process and kind of not pull off the gas pedal to, to get there? um two other ones that, that kind of coincide um challenging yet reasonable and this is kind of that goldilocks zone of if you're making goal for yourself or for your team a lot of people and whether it's personal goals or professional goals it's like if you say i want to lose 25 pounds in the next month you've set yourself up for failure no matter what that, that's not a realistic goal it's super challenging but it's not realistic on the flip side it's i'm going to lose one pound this month Well, that's a slam dunk. I mean, and again, everyone has different goals and different objectives, but you got to push it a little bit, go a little bit harder and make something a little more challenging. So I think, again, we define that as this Goldilocks zone and that could also be net profit or accounts receivable days or um, our customer success satisfaction. Those are things you're setting these goals for, but if it's a slam dunk, then your team kind of looks around and says, that's all they think we can do. If it's completely unreasonable and it's just this kind of idealistic goal, you're never gonna achieve it. So you're setting your team up for failure from day one. So I think those are challenging at reasonable is another one. Um, One that I always like to point out is controllable. It's something we talk about a lot. If you're talking about your goals, make it something that you can have an impact on, whether it's tariffs or inflation rates, don't build your goals around these kind of uncontrolled variables, because it's just something you can't control. You react to those changing variables to reach your goal. You change your strategies, you don't necessarily change your goals so controllable is important there um and and i'll point out i mean as we talk about one thing we say a lot is no more than three at a time and and it depends on that's company level goals or department or individual goals um we've worked with clients in the past that, yeah we've got 12 goals for the year and you say okay what are they uh let me let me go look those up if if a yeah. founder if a ceo if a c-suite executive can't hit those off the cuff your vps your mid-level managers your frontline workers they're never gonna be able to repeat 12 goals. So we'd like to say three at a time, there's action steps that, that kind of constitute how you get there. Um, but that's one thing that we always like to kind of just bring it down, make them overarching, but three at a time just helps everyone know what are our goals for this quarter or this year? And I can say them pretty
0: quickly. Totally agree. And I, I you know, they have to be measurable to some degree. I've worked with a lot of companies that, you know, they'll have a goal and, for example, will be to improve the employee experience. And so my first question is, how do you measure the employee experience? And typically, they don't have a direct answer. You know, it, it could be based on turnover and a number of other things. And you can come up with a metric for it. But you have to have a metric for it in order to say if you achieved it. Because otherwise, there's no idea if you achieved it. Or not. Yeah. So I think measurability is such a big element to it that sometimes is forgotten when you get to loftier goals. Um, and you had mentioned kind of the impact and the control that you have over the goal that you're making. And I think at the executive level, you know that those goals tend to make a lot of sense, whether it's the big three or big five. And I do think when you filter it down you know, to middle management, grassroots employees, the controllability of those goals tends to get lost on them. Because a lot of times you feel as a employee, especially in a big company, well, I can't impact that, you know? And if you don't feel you can impact it, it's not really your goal. So yeah. how do you kind of overcome some of those issues when it gets to middle management and grassroots employees?
1: and so i think one thing we try to do and it's something we coach a lot and, and you'll learn about in any programs or reading the book is we kind of have this pyramid of, at the top is, is your vision three to five years out where do you want to be then there's company goals and again we kind of want to make those we start at three company goals um we have an employee goal a customer goal and a financial goal that's what we coach coach to set and we there's different ways to measure that but if you start in those three buckets you've at least made your your starting point a lot easier then we look at creating department goals that feed into those. And so you go from the company goal to department goal and, and then even one level deeper is that individual goal. And so Hmm. every individual has a goal that if these, if everyone achieves their individual goals, we're going to achieve these department goals. If everyone achieves these department goals, then we've kind of made that step towards the company goals. And if we've got the three company goals knocked out of the park this year, we're one step closer to that vision. And so, being specific about here's the company goals. We want to have a net profit of 23.2 million. Well, if you're a frontline kind of worker working on, on the floor, manufacturing products or on the sales team, sales team can say, yeah, I can help sell more, but they might not necessarily bring the overhead down. And so net profit becomes a goal that anyone can feed into, where it's not a sales goal or a revenue goal. You can say, hey, I'm using 20% 20% less materials, um, even printing less, or as a driver, I'm making more optimized routes, or so our, our costs go down in vehicles and delivery, and so everyone has that way they can impact that, and those those kind of differentiations of resetting the goal at each level is important, but knowing they're all funneling up because we also know our department goals, we know the company goals, but my role is pretty specific, and so. It all plays together that uh, achieving these goals gets us close to the vision, but the vision articulates what those individual goals should be.
0: I think that was such a good depiction. I think that's where it gets lost in translation is the filtering down. I've seen a lot of companies that are really good at coming up with the big goals and really good at at having you know roundtables and town hall meetings and explaining to employees what those big goals are. But I haven't seen a lot of companies that successfully filter it down to the departmental and especially individual level. And that's where the big wins are. You know, that's yeah. the only way you can achieve those, those big goals. So I love to hear that. I love to hear that it would be part of the program because I think it it's so needed. And I don't know that everybody understands that progression necessarily. Um, we talked a little bit, uh, kind of talking then about goals, and and we've thrown around three to five years. I've worked with companies that like to have a 10-year plan. I've worked with companies that like to just set goals for the next year. Um, and I've heard a kind of a lot of debate in this space about how long goals should really be set for. And, you know, just for example, setting a goal maybe in 2019, and then COVID hit, and the world kind of exploded for a few months there, for a few years you know, maybe some of those goals change. So what's your kind of recommendation in terms of just length of time you're really planning the goals for?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'll put this grain of salt out there. Every organization's different and, and philosophies are different, but what we believe I think fundamentally is that it's very hard to predict where you'll be in 10 years. So while that 10 year goal is great, you have no idea what the personnel will be. So it's a little further out than we'd say. So we start with your long-term goal being the vision. Um, We use a definition that that Richard Whiteley uh, uses in a customer-driven company. A vision is a vivid picture of an ambitious future state connected to the customer and in some important way better than the current state. So that's that's a fairly broad definition, but we like to think that 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 three to five years out is where that vision is because everyone who's on the team now can kind of buy into that. We're 10 years out. Yeah, I'm disconnected from 10 years out. But three to five years out i see myself being part of the team that's going to accomplish that and then we'll reset and set another three to five year long-term goal out and so the vision and long-term goal are slightly interchangeable but vision's a little bit more it's very different than a mission but it's where you see this company being connected to the customer and important in some way than the current state from there we like to set company goals for the year Um, it gives everyone time to buy into and we, again, we talk about three types of goals, a customer goal. So what's your customer satisfaction? You can measure it quarterly, but but your goal is to improve it. So you need to be able to, to your point, measure that. So you know, are you on track or off track? Um, we look at employee engagement. we, we preach that the Q12 by Gallup is a great way to measure employee engagement. Are they engaged with the company? And then customer, uh, and then financial goal is, is net profit. So not necessarily revenue, something everyone can buy into. And if you have, happy customers, you're going to have success next year. If you have happy employees, you're going to have success this year. And a financial goal keeps the company afloat if it's a net profit goal. And so those all three kind of play into each other. And those we typically like to set for the year, then once you get to department, that's what can start to get a bit more quarterly. Um, and, And then you drop down one more level, and it's individual, it could be monthly or quarterly, if it's, if it's two weekly goal, or monthly goal, it can sometimes start to bleed into like action steps to actually what what's the goal we want, not just making a list or a hundred cold calls, that kind of thing. That's an right. action step to what we want. So, I mean, again, looking at that hierarchy, vision is three to five years out. Company goals are typically for the year, quarterly at a department level. And similarly, it's either monthly or quarterly at that individual goal.
0: Yeah. Great. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, Jeremy, you have made it, to our lightning round of Mahita Talks. I'm not sure if you've heard our lightning rounds before. I know you're well prepared. Um, So I have 10 questions I'm gonna ask you. We like to get to know our guests a little bit better. Um, So I've tried to make them as appropriate as possible and I like to start off easy. You're progressively harder. Are you ready for the lightning
1: round? As ready as I'll ever be.
0: We'll start easy. What is your favorite thing to do in the summertime?
1: Uh, ride my bike.
0: What is one thing you wish you enjoyed more? Something that everybody else seems to like and you just wish you liked it, but you don't.
1: Um, really at the end of the day, I think my answer to that is, uh, cleaning. It's one of those necessary evils that I wish that I just liked more. I like tidying up and organizing, but like the vacuuming and the wiping down is just, I wish I had a little more love for that.
0: We want you to want to do the dishes. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you ever appear on a reality TV show?
1: I'm going to say no, unless I'm like in a host role or a commentator role. That sounds great. Participant. One of my uh, one of my best friends is actually a director, segment director on Survivor. So I've like become a big Survivor fan now later in life. And I watch I say, I am so glad that my interactions (laughs) of interpersonal communication is not recorded for the world to see.
0: Are you in the profession you dreamed of when you were a child?
1: Yes and no. Um, at, at leading goal makers specifically, um, this isn't what I dreamed of as a child. I wanted to be in product development, um, but, but I always wanted to be as a child, someone asked me, what's your dream job? It was problem solver. And I think entrepreneurs are inherently a problem solver. We pick one problem at a time and we, we do that. So um, yeah, from the standpoint of entrepreneurially minded, I am in that dream job.
0: Got All right, when you go to the pool, do you do a cannonball? to get into the pool, or do you just dip your toe in first?
1: I've changed my perspective on that. I used to be slow, work your way in, cold water bothers me. Now it's just commit 100%. I'm cannonballing, as long as I'm not splashing everyone.
0: What is the cringiest thing you did as a teenager?
1: Ooh. I remember, this one's bad. I was, uh, I got a bad haircut like the day before I think it was eighth grade, which is your your kind of apex of middle school. You're feeling good. I didn't like it. I was in a bad place. And my older sister said, well, what if we dyed your hair? So it was kind of a whole thing. And so she uh, did like little frosted blonde tips. I think she was big into the in sync phase and just tried to make me look like Justin Timberlake. So not only was it a bad haircut, it was then a bad dye job. And that was showing up first day of eighth grade with the worst hair possible was pretty cringy.
0: What is the funniest thing you've ever witnessed during a Zoom meeting?
1: I'll put this out there because it wasn't a Mahita master manager, but we worked with a, uh, a company and they were a distributor. They put um, a few of their retailers into the program as well. And in one of our facilitations, we say, go through, uh, when we get into the financials, say, go through the lines of your expenses and and just audit it. Look for a place that you could potentially improve that and come back to the group and share. And so breakout rooms going to companies the the retailer came back and they said we chose materials Uh, we could choose uh, less expensive materials Um, we could look at optimizing buying higher um, higher volumes to, to create discounts and while their distributor who paid for them to be part of this program was online they said we could also look at finding cheaper providers and distributors and i watched as six zoom faces their eyes got big and they went
0: and they just shook
1: their head in disbelief that someone would say that. I rewatched the reactions about ten times on a recorded session because it was just, it was hilarious, but a little bit just obtuse to the situation for the partner who said that answer.
0: That's a good one. Um, what mythical creature do you believe would be real? Do you wish would be real?
1: Wish would be real. Hmm. Mm. I'm going for, uh, I'm going for sea monsters. The, the, not to say that that's something that a, you see those big squid videos, but like Kraken style things, I think it would all give us a little bit more respect for the ocean knowing that there's a (laughs) 600 uh, foot octopus somewhere out there.
0: (laughs) If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, selfishly, I'm going to answer this one because like, it's the lightning round. Uh, my wife would kill me if she knew this was the answer, but it would be bicycles. We leaned in on that as my favorite thing, but I've got a gravel bike, I've got uh, a road bike, but if I could just have one for every type, like a mountain bike, a gravel bike, a road bike, uh, an electric bike, that would be just like a stable of bicycles. Sounds pretty amazing. Again, leaning into my favorite thing to do because it's top of mind right now.
0: Yeah, I think your wife would kill you for that answer.
1: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm limited to two, but I'm fighting for three right now.
0: <laughs> all right, last one. Would you rather live in a tree house or a cave?
1: Tree house. Um, there's something about having that vantage point where you're up there with birds looking down at all the trees, that's tree house.
0: Well, Jeremy, you successfully made it through our lightning round, congratulations. Um, And sadly, our podcast is coming to an end, so I was hoping you could leave our guests with if they're interested in the MEHITA Master Manager Program, how can they sign up for it?
1: Yeah, so um, the first thing to do is if you want to learn more, um, you can go to mehita.org slash master. Um, That's where you can kind of see an overview of the program, uh, a video that talks about what you'll learn, However, that'll then redirect you to the Goalmakers.com slash Mejita page, um, where you can go through a preview of the program. So you can actually look what it looks like behind the paywall, um, learn about all the different accreditations that come with that. So um, the first, first landing zone is if you wanna look at it on Mejita, Mahida, that's mahidaorg slash master. Um, but you can also find it through some of the, the pop-ups on the Mejita word page or Goalmakers.com slash We try and give you two places to find that information um and you can register there and, and sign up um but if anyone has questions about the program they can reach out to me directly jeremy at goalmakers.com uh, and i'd be happy to just answer any more questions that, that anyone has
0: well thank you so much for your time jeremy it's certainly been a pleasure and i look forward to the Mahida master manager program so thank you
1: Thank you, Sherry. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today and look forward to seeing you at future Mahita events and and meeting more of the Mahita members as we continue into the Master Manager program this fall.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for listening to Mahita Talks. I've been your host, Sherry Altergott. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.